When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Optimal Relationships Daily, episode 758, an excerpt from the book Bravish, a Memoir of a Recovering Perfectionist by Margaret Davis Gilmetti. Hello, everybody. I am Greg Audino, and as you heard, this is Optimal Relationships Daily. Once in a while on the show, we veer from blog posts and instead offer excerpts from some books we really enjoy, and today is one of those days. Sounds good, right? Why don't we jump right in and start optimizing your life? An excerpt from the book Bravish, a memoir of a recovering perfectionist, by Margaret Davis Gilmetti. In caring for my dad at the end of his life, people routinely tell me, you're a saint. And I nearly explode, protesting that I don't want to be a saint. And yet, I'm the one who doesn't take off the perfect daughter halo, polished to a gleaming shine, even when it pinches. I'm the one putting on the heavy angel wings each morning, fitting them over my superwoman cape. I'm even considering layering another petite pair of wings on top of the ones already weighing me down. It's me not giving myself even one day off, and in my sixth decade, even I know that's not a positive sign. I also know when I need help. It's therapist o'clock. In my first session with Ellen, she asks, May I walk you back in time to when you were a little girl? And in a sort of waking hypnosis, I find myself at five years old, half a century ago. Ellen gently asks, What does it feel like in your home? I mumble, I'm in our white house with the green shutters. My mother is caring but strict. There are lots of rules and expectations, and I need to be careful not to make her mad, otherwise she'll shut me out. I pause, then add, I feel my dad's sadness and hurt. I comfort him when he's down. I distract him to cheer him up. When Ellen gently brings me back to the present moment, I tell her what I didn't know as a five-year-old, but I've learned over the years. My dad had a happy childhood until his parents divorced, his mother died, and his father remarried. My dad went from being a bright-eyed, smiling little boy to a teenager who developed a keen wit to deflect emotions. After he served in World War II, his stepsister introduced him to a pretty sorority sister. My parents are radiantly happy in their wedding photos, my dad's lanky arm around my mother's elegant round shoulders. Along came my three older brothers and, surprise, me. At a certain point, 
when bills piled up and activities for four kids overwhelmed, my mom could or would no longer make the effort to buoy up my dad when his old sadness overcame him. She turned her bright enthusiasm away from him, abdicating that part of her role as a supportive spouse in order to do the million things a busy mother does. I tell therapist Ellen, My mom quit college when she married my dad, and I'm sure she was frustrated intellectually. My dad was not doing work he loved, but rather keeping food on the table. They weren't living their dreams. I feel bad for them. Ellen's response echoes what I've learned from my friend Lori's book, Baffled by Love, that it is, in fact, the parent's responsibility to care for the child, not the child for the parent. Oh. Margaret, Ellen adds, you're making excuses to take care of everyone. I insist to her how essential it is for me to be compassionate. You don't need to worry about that, Margaret. You are. But when you go into compassion overdrive... I don't trust you anymore. It's no longer about caring for the other. Compassion is your gateway drug to enabling and people-pleasing, to reassure and soothe yourself. I have enough shrink sessions under my belt to recognize when my therapist has hit a bullseye. What I suggest for you, Ellen continues, is benevolence. The roots of the word are bene, from the Latin meaning well, and volere, meaning to want or wish. You can want the best for your father and wish him well without tipping over into compassion overdrive. I also know that calm means with, and passion is from the Latin for suffering. I see how I dive headfirst into the lives of those I love, straining and scrambling to keep them happy, rushing to do whatever it takes to make things all better for them. I've been playing out this role for decades. The music is familiar and the dance awaits. All I need is to hear the scratchy old song. When I jump in, I know who I am again and what to do. Even if I've left myself depleted, I've ensured you won't leave me. Ellen, I say, resigned, I've tried to change this. It seems to be how I am. Maybe until now, Ellen says. Let's acknowledge that you're in a stage of ing. You are learning how to do things differently. As I drive home after our session, I pray for surrender anew. God, when the time is right, please release me from fixing others and living my life through them, as if they needed fixing and as if I could fix them. Please, God, help me to be caring of others and yet to take care of myself. I am filled with regret for not yet having moved past this socially acceptable addiction. What I hear back is, Progress, not perfection, child. But even armed with this latest wisdom, wise counsel of Ellen and past therapists, personal growth work, from chakras to chanting, self-help books and more, I still tumble into my old stories when under duress. It's never more so than with my husband, Patrick. When we get into an argument, I feel the old roles clawing me back down. At the first sign of what I like to think of as a constructive request, Could he floss over the sink and not into the mirror? Patrick retreats into, I guess I'm the worst husband ever, accompanied by a hangdog look. This triggers in me a residual feeling that I should comfort him, followed immediately by a burst of fury as I stand, regally erect, pronouncing, I can't do this right now, and storming out of the room. 
In 60 seconds flat, Patrick and I have retreated into the roles my parents played out over six decades of marriage. My husband and I are no longer in the room. In our place are sad dad and cold mom. Now, though, I see the pattern and recognize the ancient title pull. I take responsibility for my part. When I walk back into the room and sit down next to Patrick, he may still be sad and I may still be cold, but we both want an adult relationship. We both say, I'm sorry, let's try again. Let's stay in the conversation. Let's try to be more honest and awake. Sometimes we agree to table the discussion for now, but in any case, we correct course, remembering that we're in it together, even if we hate each other right now, we turn towards one another, not away. We also seek our own comfort afterwards. Patrick soaking for a bit in the pity pool, and me on the phone with girlfriends, indulging with them in what I call IMT, I'm married too. But ours is not my parents' marriage, or my parents' lives. Mired in platitudes and traps that neither of them recognized, let alone knew how to change. I remind myself, yes, I am learning how to do life differently. You just listened to an excerpt from the book titled Bravish, A Memoir of a Recovering Perfectionist by Margaret Davis Gilmetti. And thank you so much to Margaret for letting us read a few words from her book today. That wraps us up, though, folks. Thank you so much for being here with me. I hope you are all feeling a little more aligned after hearing this episode. Keep that energy with you and come back tomorrow for our Thursday show. I will see you there where your optimal life awaits.